Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Today's Monday, June 5th, 2023, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. An unarmed black woman in Florida gunned down after she went to a home to retrieve her daughter's iPad, shot by a white woman through the door. Ben Crump, representing the victim's family, will tell us about this case and why the white shooter has not been identified or even charged. Dozens of activists packed in Atlanta City Council today to talk about Cop City, where the city is going to be spending millions of dollars to fund a new uh, police and firefighter training center that activists decry again as Cop City. They are not happy about it. We'll be joined by Mark Thompson, uh, who's one of the folks who spoke there. Nikki Haley! Wait till we sit, play for this dumb comment she made last night on CNN's town hall regarding the gun, the murder of nine black people at the Mother Emanuel in 2015. Just beyond stupid. Also, Senator Tim Scott goes on The View. Why is it he can't answer the question of what the hell systemic racism is? And also, uh, scholar, philosopher, Dr. Cornell West, he's running for president. Seriously. We'll show you his announcement. Also, the May Jobs Report shows a rise in black unemployment. Dr. Cecilia Rouse, a professor of economics at Princeton University, formerly of the Biden administration, will be here to break down those numbers for us. Plus, it's Alzheimer's Awareness Month in our Fit Live Win segment. I talked to an expert about how we can combat this silent epidemic that disproportionately affects African Americans. Folks, it is time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin on the Filter from the Black Star Network. Let's go. Okay. 
Florida family wants to know why their loved one is dead and why the person responsible has not been identified or even arrested. Joining us right now is attorney Ben Crump. He represents A.J. Owens, who was shot through a door while trying to retrieve a an iPad that her neighbor took after her child left it behind. Ben, uh, so exp explain us what, what, the, what the hell happened here. It's, uh, it's jaw-dropping when you think about, again, Roland Martin, we have another African-American citizen going, knocking on a door, and a white citizen shooting through the door, through a metal door, and killing this 35-year-old mother of four in front of her children. It is uh, just so god-awful that these children witnessed their mother being killed because they were playing on the field. A white woman kept complaining over and over again, saying racial appetites to those children. And they left the field. Her son left his iPad. The white woman took the iPad. He came to get it back, and she threw it and cracked the iPad. He went and told his mother. His mother came and several witnesses say she knocked on the door four times, banged on the door, said, I know you hear me, and boom, gunshot. So they were the kids were in a, was a nearby park? No, it's a... The lady lived in a quadruplex apartment. The open field was next to her apartment. Her they, they lived across the street in a duplex in a small town called Ocala, Florida. And several neighbors said this woman would always complain about the children playing in the open field, and they were just dumbfounded why the lady thought that that was her field. Uh, and so it makes no sense why she would call them racial epithets, little N-words, and so forth on previous occasions, and the children say on that day, and the fact that she would then take that young child's iPad, and then when they come in to retrieve it, throw it and crack it. But what makes no sense is why she didn't call 911. Why would she shoot through the door and kill this woman for simply coming to knock on her door? Um, Marion County Sheriff Billy Woods uh, explain why this investigation is taking so much time. I'm here to assure the family and the friends and my office is going to do everything to bring justice. A lot of the rumors and questions out there have been that we're not doing anything, we're not moving fast enough. A lot of people don't understand how the laws in the state of Florida sometimes works. You know, we only got a part of the, an initial. When you get to a scene, sometimes you only get one side of the story. And because we want to seek justice and we want to assure that we get the facts right, especially in a case to this level, but you just don't take always one side, because it doesn't always paint the full picture. And especially, as I mentioned, we had two children, or children, I should say, more than two, to possibly witness what occurred. Now, we're not cold-hearted bastards that we're going to interview children the night they possibly witnessed their mother being killed. We're going to wait. Not only that, and I'll be the first to admit it, I'm not qualified to interview 
to that level. So we have to rely on professionals and experts, counselors, to sit down with them. Because how many of you and your viewers out there have seen a child being interviewed who clams up and doesn't want to talk? It becomes difficult. So it's something that we can't immediately and will not immediately do just because we know what they or have seen what they have gone through. But be assured that when we do interviews, the facts are brought forward. The information is gathered. The pieces of the puzzle are put together so that we can come to justice, and that's what we will come to at the conclusion of this is justice. All right, Ben, so when did this actually take place? This happened at around 9 o'clock on Saturday night. And the leaders in the black community and many of the activists are claiming that the sheriff is trying to create a false narrative. He's trying to come up and say, well, they, she was threatening the uh, white citizen that the mother went and hit on the window. They said none of that happened. Cause this is a community where people are outside. They see what happened, and they say she simply came and knocked on the door, and then all of a sudden you heard the gunshot. And so the sheriff trying to say, oh, well, we're getting people saying she's knocking on the window. Nobody in the community has said that. They are saying if anybody would have said that, that would have been the shooter. And they said the sheriff hasn't talked to them, and they're trying to justify an unjustifiable shooting. If she felt in fear of her life, Roland Martin, why didn't she call 911? Why would she shoot through a metal door and kill this lady? She had a peephole. She had a ring uh, camera on her uh, door. She could have simply looked out there. She could have communicated. She could have called 911. She could have did a hundred other things then shoot through a metal door, killing this mother of four, who was a manager at McDonald's. Wow. Um, have, have you been in contact with uh, the sheriff's department? My associate attorney, Anthony Thomas, talked with him at length and wanted to know why wouldn't they arrest her? And there was a lot of leaders there with them. And the sheriff kept saying, well, we got to let the investigation take its course. But we know, Roland Martin, had the roles been reversed and you had a black woman shoot through her door, shooting a white woman who was knocking on the door, that there wouldn't have needed to be an exhaustive investigation. She would have been arrested and charged, and she would have got her day in court. And that's all we're asking for is due process for A.J. Owens and her children. We want this killer to be arrested, and she can make whatever defense she wants, stand your ground, self-defense, castle doctrine, but she needs to be arrested, because if not, we don't believe the system works equally, because we know what would have happened had a black woman shot a white woman through the door. Speaking of, uh, I mean, obviously, you also represent Hannah with the family of uh, Ralph Yarl. Uh, we showed the video of him out at a walk last week. How is he doing? And, of course, he's, you know, a, he's a young, young man in Kansas City uh, who was shot. Luckily, he is alive, unlike this woman uh, in uh, A.J. Owens uh, in uh, Florida. Uh, so just give us an update on Ralph. 
Yeah, very similar uh, tragedies. Ralph is still dealing with uh, a lot of migraines and headaches. They say the bullet fragments are going to be in his head and his brain forever. But he's doing remarkable in the sense that he wants to go to college. He wants to go to college at Texas A&M, and he's striving to get better so he doesn't miss any more school time. All right, then. Well, Ben, uh, we surely appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Keep us uh, abreast uh, of both of these cases. Thank you so much, Roland. More than you know for covering this matter. All right, thanks a bunch, folks. Got to go to a break. We come back. We'll talk to our panel about this. We'll also uh, go live to Atlanta, uh, where uh, there's a packed city council hearing uh, over the proposed building of what activists are calling Cop City. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, y'all. Uh, we should be, uh, of course, uh, uh, have want to hit a thousand or two thousand likes. Don't forget, download the Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Support us, support us by joining our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, you can see right here, uh, I'm sitting here, y'all, uh, depositing uh, all of your checks, all of your checks and money orders, uh, depositing them right now. And so uh, that's what I'm doing as we speak. And so again, send check and money orders to PO Box 57196, Washington, D.C. 20037-0196. Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered, PayPal or Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered, Zell, rolling at rollingsmartin.com, rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. Uh, and of course, be sure to get a copy of my book, White Fear, How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds. Available. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, uh, Books A Million, Target, download your copy on Audible. We'll be right back. <clears throat> Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene. A white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. As an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol, we're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. Start Network is here. Oh, no punch! I'm real um, revolutionary right now. Uh, thank you for being the voice of black America. All the momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Hi, my name is Freddie Ricks. I'm from Houston, Texas. My name is Sharon Williams. I'm from Dallas, Texas. Right now, I'm rolling with Roland Martin. Unfiltered, uncut, unplugged, and undamn believable. You hear me?
All right, folks, uh, in Atlanta, there has been a lot of conversation uh, in Ranker over what activists call Cop City. As we speak, uh, there's a public hearing take, taking place uh, the city council. It is packed chambers there. Let's go live there to hear some of what is there being said. Criminal justice-wise, you have to think. You have to make this call. Listen. Stop calling for courtesy. Stop patting yourself on the back because you're such a, such a good person. And think for a second, what kind of courtesy have we shown you? And what will it look like the day we become uncourteous? Tony Michelle Williams and Nina Martinez. Okay. Uh, my name is Robel Awaka, and I just want to say before I begin, um, thank you to those young people and all the young people that have showed up. You guys are really giving me hope uh, in a very hopeless time. Um, I live in Southwest Atlanta in District 10 with my wife and daughter. Both my wife and I grew up here. Our families call Atlanta home, and we are deeply rooted and invested in this city and its future. I've never spoken at council before, but I've been so disturbed by how the city has ignored the voices of its constituents, lied about how much money is going to this facility, violently suppressed its own residents for protesting and organizing to stop the destruction of Wolani Forest, just so that the police can build a new training center that we don't need, that we don't want. I knew I had to be here today. I have a little girl. She's about to turn two. She's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I never knew I could love someone so much. On our way to daycare in the morning, we sing songs as I try to avoid the potholes that have been there for years. I drive by neighbors waiting at bus stops with no benches, no shelters from the rain. We see unhoused neighbors and community members sleeping under makeshift shelters. And we see cop cars cruising our neighborhood all day, every day. I've been harassed on more than one occasion by the cops in my neighborhood. They make me feel the opposite of safe. Spending $60 million, $60 million taxpayer dollars on a new police training facility is the most heartbreaking, reckless, and quite frankly, anti-black thing this city has ever proposed in my lifetime. I can't, I cannot, I cannot believe I'm standing here pleading for you to not spend the tax dollars of a black city to tear down a forest in a black neighborhood to increase the policing and caging of more and more black people. All this in a city with black leadership. I'm tired of it. Just think of what 60 million... Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. 
We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. dollars can do to care, educate, house, and nurture the people of the city, the children of the city. Say no to Cop City. Thank you. Joining us right now is uh, Reverend Mark, Je- Mark Thompson. He spoke uh, a little bit earlier uh, there as well. Mark, uh, this has been uh, obviously quite contentious. Uh, you had uh, an activist uh, who was one of the protesters, police shot and killed. Uh, and, uh, of course, you had conflicting stories of what happened there. You also had a recent raid uh, that took place by the Atlanta Police Department uh, that, uh, uh, that many people are very critical of. And you spoke about that in your comments. Well, uh, thanks for having me, Roland. Yeah, this hearing's been going on uh, since about uh, 12.30 today. We are not yet at the 100th um, person to testify. There are almost 400 people that are going to testify. And then the city council agreed to open up comments uh, for as long as people want to give them. So they're going to listen to probably well over 400 people before the night is over. Um, to a person, no one is testifying in favor of this cop city. And now we understand that the, uh, the budget has increased. And that's really why this is taking place right now, because there's a debate about whether or not they want to uh, send it back to the committee, um, considering that there's more money involved. Um, most of the people who testified have expressed their disgust, especially after the reckoning with uh, George Floyd that Atlanta would even consider something like this here in one of the cradles of the civil rights movement. What would Dr. King say? What would Andrew Young say? Michael Julian Bond, who was the son of Julian Bond, was criticized and accused of not upholding his father's legacy in one of the public comments moments ago. Uh, and he took offense to that and said, hold me accountable. Don't include my uh, uh, father's name in it. But, you know, he, his name, he calls himself Michael Julian Bond, not Michael uh, 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 Bond, but Michael Julian Bond. So if he's invoking his father's name himself, why would others? And, and it looks as if he's going to vote for Cop City. At this hour, it's not clear that the votes exist to prevent it rolling. But people are here and prepared to stay here all night. I think we'll see probably, quite frankly, some more activity before the hour is over, uh, before the night is over. And as you can see uh, from your images, the, uh, uh, the hall is full. I'm going to uh, turn my camera around and show you what it looks like here um, at the city council building. These are the people who are here demonstrating and pretty much occupying the main lobby area here at the Atlantic City Council. People, this has been full all day. Of course, people have been here a long time. They've, they've come and gone. But uh, this pretty much represents um, the resistance that the Atlanta community has. For those who don't understand, this is going to be supposedly a training facility, air quotes, but it is really an opportunity to train the police to be more militaristic. It's not a training center to teach the police how to de-escalate or demilitarize. 
it's to train the police how to do the exact opposite of that. And so that is what many of the concerns are here today to a person. Atlantans don't want this. Um, obviously, uh, it is uh, jam-packed there, uh, and uh, folks from all sort of backgrounds uh, have been speaking, have been testifying. Uh, you talked about uh, Michael Bond. Um, the, the mayor uh, stands in support of this, and uh, he is trying to uh, convey to people uh, why, uh, why this is needed. Uh, and so are there other, uh, are there business leaders, are there other civil rights leaders, uh, many of well-known folks uh, who are standing with activists, or are they silent? Some of them are silent, but some of them are in favor of it, including a number of preachers. I, I can't name any names, but I've been told by uh, some of the organizers that some uh, people who are considered well-respected ministers in this community are in favor of this uh, because... You know, there's this, our, this, this, this conversation in our community about violence uh, and about crime uh, and the way it is it isn't being addressed. And so people feel like if they, I guess, support something like this, this would be something about the violence. But what do we know? Not only do the police brutalize us, but just like Flavor Flav said, 911 is a joke. And you can ask anybody, um, when have the police uh, uh, answered calls for service in the black community? When do police solve actual crimes in the black community. That's the concern, and that's not what's taking place. Um, so there are some leaders here who are either silent or who flat out said they support it. A lot of politicking going on. The mayor is pushing all the buttons he can. Um, they want this to be a model program, and it will be modeled. People around the country need to understand this. This facility is not just for Atlanta. This facility is to train police from around the country. So police will be flown in from around the country to this training facility uh, uh, to be trained, um, uh, to be uh, 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 taught how to militarize more. The Israeli Defense Force is going to be involved in this. This will be a playground uh, for policing. So your, your police department will be coming in. If you're watching this, this is to be a national facility to further empower the police. All right, Mark Thompson, uh, we appreciate it. Uh, and again, we'll be monitoring uh, this hearing uh, as it progresses. That's interesting. Thank you, brother. Thank you for carrying us live today, too. I uh, appreciate it. All right, people, let's go actually back to hear some more of that testimony. Judicial killing of peaceful, seated protesters. I do not support using millions of dollars in taxpayer funds to build another slap in the face to the Muskegee Nation on the site of their Wilani Forest. And anyone in this room who does support what I've just laid out should be ashamed to call themselves a public servant. If your goal is not evolution, move aside. I challenge each member of the city council to devote their terms to our children instead of your wallets. I challenge you. I challenge you to act in the best interest of your constituents and the land of the Muskegee Nation, that Mus Muskogee Nation, I'm so sorry, y'all, the Muskogee Nation that we so shamefully still have control over, land back, by the way, I challenge you, ma'am, I, 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 I look up at my face in the words of Tim Robinson, I challenge you to be a human being, do it. Next up is Jeff King.
uh, go to a break, and we come back, we'll talk about uh, this with our panel. You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. That was a pivotal, pivotal time. I remember mm. Kevin, Kevin Hart telling me that. Um, he's like, man, what you doing, man? You gotta stay on stage. And I was like, yeah, well, I you know, I'm young, thinking, yeah, I'm good. And he was absolutely right. What, 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 what show was the other time? This was one on one. Got During it. that time, I, and I was, so you so you're doing one on one, yep. going great. Yeah, you making money. You like, I'm like, I don't need to leave. I don't need, I don't need to leave from you know third, Wednesday, Thursday to Sunday. I, I, you know, I, I just I didn't want to do that. You know, it was just like I'm gonna stay here. Oh, I didn't want to finish work Friday, fly out, go do a gig Saturday, Sunday. I was like, I don't have to do that. And, and I lost a little bit of that hunger that I had mm. in New York. I would hit all the clubs, running around. I, you know, sometimes me and Chappelle, or me and this one or that one, we go to the comedy cellar at one in the morning. And I mean, that was our life. We loved it. You know, you do two shows in Manhattan, go to Brooklyn, leave Brooklyn, go to Queens, go to Jersey. And I kind of just, I got complacent. Well, I was like, I got this money, I'm good. I don't need to go, I don't need to go chase that because that money wasn't at the same level that I was making, but what I was missing was that training. Yes. Was that, was that. And it wasn't the money. It was the money, you know, it was that, that's what I needed. in black culture. You're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause to long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Checks and money orders go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. My name is Lena Charles, and I'm from Opelousas, Louisiana. Yes, that is Zodico capital of the world. My name is Morgan Chappelle. I'm from Dallas, Texas, representing the Urban Trivia Game. It's me, Sherry Shepard, and you know what you watch. Roland Martin on Unfiltered. All right, folks, Dr. Julian Malvo, Dean, College of Ethnic Studies, California State University, Los Angeles, Renita Shannon, former Georgia State Representative uh, out of Atlanta, Dr. Avis Jones, Weaver, political analyst uh, out of National Harbor, Maryland. All right, folks, let's get right to it. Renita, I'll start with you. Uh, this, again, uh, proposed Cobb City, lots, lots of drama. You're there in Georgia. Uh, share uh, your take on this. Not so much drama, because if you live here in Atlanta, you know that there are not actually lots of people who are saying that they support Cop City, except for city council. And so people have consistently made their voice heard over the last um, 
one to two years, as long as Cop City has been talked about, that they do not want this project. And for good reason. Atlanta has some of the highest rates of homelessness, um, has some of the highest uh, disparities when it comes to income inequality. There are so many problems here in Atlanta that could be dealt with if we actually just invested in communities and stopped investing so much in policing. And that is what the community knows. Um, I'll read you this quote from Gary Spencer, who spoke earlier today during public comment, because his quote really summed up exactly where we are on this. He said, today's vote on Cop City is about perpetuating militarized policing that will endanger the lives of our residents, our visitors, and put black and brown people in Atlanta at a heightened risk of police violence. And I don't know um, if Gary has ever run for office, but he is only 100 percent correct. I can tell you that. When I campaigned in 2016 for my House seat, I canvassed in Decatur, which is not far from Atlanta. What happens in Atlanta affects the entire state, um, but particularly the surrounding neighborhoods. And I can tell you this. I had 80-year-old black grandmothers say to me, yes, we see crime happening in the neighborhoods, but we do not call the police because we do not want them to come in and escalate with violence, and that is what they will do. We do not want to see people who are committing small crimes be shot by police, and now I've got a dead young black man on my front lawn. They don't want it. And so the more that um, leaders move to sort of put more and more funding towards police, what it does is increases militarization in our community, and our communities, which are already over-policed, become even more over-policed. And so at the end of the day, this is really terrible what's going on at Atlanta City Council trying to move through with this cop city because you're spending so much public money. In addition to, the entire city is democratically run. And so when folks, when it's time to vote and folks say, hey, you know, don't tell me what Trump is doing, don't tell me what the Republicans are doing, because I see what the Democrats are doing, this is what they mean. Atlanta, Atlanta City Council needs to cancel the lease. They, this vote that they are taking is for the budget. If they vote no on this, stop. Uh, cop city will not move forward, and that's what they need to do. So uh, how, do, how though, do those city officials deal with the other issue when people are talking about the problem with crime? Uh, I mean, there, that is a issue that is often uh, raised as happening in Atlanta. And so, yep. Yep. okay, what do you do? Absolutely. And so anybody who's actually worked on these issues, like myself and others who have studied the data, know that more policing does not mean safer neighborhoods. You have got to deal with the root causes of crime, which means you have need to have mental health resources. Uh, many places around the country, not just Atlanta, but uh, here in Atlanta, it's pretty much the case that if you don't have money to be in a private facility, you're not going to get mental health counseling. And when you don't get mental health counseling when you need it, that can turn into addiction. If you have addiction issues and there are no addiction resources, you're probably going to end up continuing to be addicted and you're going to end up committing crime in order to uh, get money for your addiction. The wages here in Atlanta are so low, rent is unaffordable, and so people are committing crimes in an effort to be able to survive. And so no matter where you look around the country, Atlanta is no different. You have got to invest in getting rid of the root causes of crime in order to bring crime down. No, you, Atlanta, you can look over time, uh, just here in Atlanta and most places around the country, the more and more money spent on policing has not translated into less crime. It just has not, because that is not the reason that crime happens. And if you think about it, it's common sense. Police have no better idea of when crime is going to happen than anybody else. The only person who knows when a crime is about to happen is the person who's about to do it. And so the best they can do is try to respond to crime. But if you want to reduce crime, you've got to get to the root of crime. Um... Julian, this is something that a lot of cities are going to be dealing with, um, whether it's Chicago, Houston, we can go down the line. Uh, and, and if you're like an official, you're trying to balance 
frankly, getting reelected and winning, and then those who say we should not be spending expending more resources uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to police or training centers like this here. Your thoughts? You know. Um all mayors are going to have to deal with the crime issue because the crime issue is prevalent. But this cop city takes it to a, it takes it to an exponential level that you're going to create this ninety million dollar complex in the middle of a forest is on native land. I mean, that's a slap in everybody's face. And I think we heard one of the sisters who was testifying talk about it. So this is an escalation. This is not just police training. This is actually creating a, a slice of a military industrial complex right in the heart of Atlanta City. The, as, as Mark Thompson said, the cradle of the civil rights movement. It is so insulting. Yes, we have to deal with crime, and I know I deal with uh, some of the older sisters who say, you know, what we, we've got to do something. No one wants to get, um, you know, no one wants to get mugged. No one wants to get walked down the street and have something jack them up. No one wants to, anyone breaking into their house. But Renita is absolutely right. What is the root, root, root cause of this? What are What is the alternative? When people are trying to survive, when you're looking at the, I mean, we're going to talk about the unemployment rate later, but even at as, quote, low as it is, it's not solving the problem for everyone. And so, you know, more police is not the answer. In fact, more police, quite frankly, exacerbates the problem because these folks have not been properly trained. And this training facility is not going to train them properly either because what you have is an agglomeration of so called crime prevention, which almost seems to me to look like. Crime encouragement. When you have all that there, and then the open space piece bothers me enormously as well in terms of the young people. They say they're going to rebuild the trees or replant the trees. Well, what? I don't want children playing next door to this cop city, frankly. And so replant the trees if you want to. How does that help our young people? This is just a travesty, Roland. It's a disgrace. And the sister at the end, who she said something about, you know, try being a human being. If you are a human being, you might think about this in from different terms of $90 million? Really? Avis? Exactly right. I mean, we're looking at the wrong side of the problem. I, I cannot even add on to the brilliant arguments that have already been made, and that is true, that the, the real solution here is crime prevention, not more, militariz not more militarization. And when I look at the data around the highest crime rates, you know, honestly, Georgia isn't even near the top of the list, okay? You have to go all the way down to 22 to get down to Georgia, and it's not even Atlanta, Georgia, <laughs> that is number 22 when we're talking about the highest crime rates in the nation. And so it's just interesting to me that, you know, we're not having these issues, uh, you know, come up in some of these other cities. Uh, actually, number one is Memphis, Tennessee, interestingly. We never hear about that. But, but I will say uh, it's just interesting that these specific centers where we know we are overpopulated since, or, or disproportionately populated, tends to be the areas that are oftentimes focused on when it comes to militarization. And so it makes me think, then what is the real reason behind this? And once again, the excellent point was made. If we want to incentivize black voters to vote for the Democratic Party specifically, you cannot have Democrats be in office and then turn around and do things like this. All right, folks, uh, hold tight one second. We'll be back. Uh, more on Roller Martin Unfiltered, uh, including we'll be talking about uh, the black unemployment rate going up despite positive job numbers. We'll talk about that uh, with uh, a former uh, White House uh, Council of Economic, Economic Advisors uh, lead. Uh, also, um, last night, CNN had a town hall 
talking to Nikki Haley, who's running for president on the Republican. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. Inside, and wait until I play for y'all what she had to say about uh, racism, uh, her anti-woke uh, perspective, but also the shooting of a mother Emanuel, where nine folks were killed. Uh, it's just ridiculous what she had to say. Uh, that's next right here, Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Next on the frequency right here on the Black Star Network, Shanita Hubbard. We're talking about the ride or die chick. We're breaking it down. The stereotype of the strong black woman. Some of us are operating with it as if it's a badge of honor. Like you even hear black women like aspiring to be this ride or die chick, aspiring to be the strong black woman chick at their own expense. Next on the frequency right here on the Black Star Network. On the next Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, are you working hard and yet your performance doesn't reflect your paycheck? On the next Get Wealthy, you're going to learn some savvy career moves so that all your efforts actually show up in your bank account. Joining us is the founder of a career network, and she's going to share the three R's of accelerating your financial growth. Here's a tip as well. If you are an individual contributor and you desire to be a leader, do the work where you are now. Because if you do the work where you are now, when you do reach the level, you'll be prepared to stay there. Right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network. Marissa Mitchell, a news anchor at Fox 5 DC. Hey, what's up? It's Sammy Roman, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks. Last night uh, at the uh, CNN town hall with Nikki Haley, former United Nations ambassador. She's running, of course, president of the Republican side. She uh, was asked about her decision to remove the Confederate flag following the racist mass shooting at Mother Emanuel AME Church uh, that took place, of course, several years ago. So um, listen to what she said. We had that horrific shooting in Charleston that killed nine amazing souls. And it happened at a time where it was on the heels of Ferguson. And I was so worried our state was going to fall apart. And the national media came in and they wanted to make it about race. They wanted to make it about um, the death penalty. They wanted to make it about guns. And I strong armed them at the time. And I said, 
there will be a time and place we can have those debates, but right now we need to put to rest nine amazing souls. And I tried to protect them. And I didn't have that luxury. Because a couple of days later, the murderer came out with his manifesto holding the Confederate flag. And at that time, I went and I called my staff and I said, I want you to set up four meetings, one with the Democrat leadership, one with the Republican leadership, one with the federal delegation and one with community leaders. And I said, don't tell them why I want to meet because I knew they wouldn't come. And when those meetings happened, I said to them at three o'clock today, I'm going to ask for the Confederate flag to come down. If you will stand with me, I will forever be grateful. And if you won't, I'll never tell anyone you were in this room. And I'll never tell any about who dissented. And I have never done that. I have kept my promise on that. When we got together, we had everybody, Republicans, Democrats, whites, blacks, come together for the flag to come down. But that's when the hard work happened. We needed two-thirds vote of the House and two-thirds vote of the Senate, which is an impossible feat almost. But what we did is we went back and we didn't fall into the fear of that situation. We turned away from fear and we turned toward God and the values that make our country great. And that's what we have to do again. We were able to get two thirds vote of the House and the Senate. We were able to go and show that we didn't have riots, we had vigils. We didn't have protests, we had hugs. And at that point in time, South Carolinians showed the entire world what strength and grace looks like. But it starts at the top. It starts with the tone, it starts with results, and it starts with having respect for the people you serve that they don't deserve any more drama than they're already having to deal with. So. One of the reasons why that was interesting was because previously you said you thought that the, the flag was important to many South Carolinians as a symbol of their heritage. And so your decision to do that came from that place, which probably made it more effective. But how difficult was it? Because some people thought you were going to protect the flag. It truly was the hardest time of my life. I mean, it was a very emotional, difficult time because you saw what so many people in South Carolina do on a Wednesday night, they went to Bible study. But on that night, someone else showed up. He didn't look like them. He didn't act like them. He didn't sound like them. And they didn't call the cops. They didn't throw him out. Instead, they pulled up a chair and they prayed with him for an hour. And when they bowed their heads in that last prayer, he began to shoot. These were people like Ethel Lance, and she would go around Mother Emanuel Church singing one day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I ask of you. Give me the strength to do every day what I have to do. Our youngest um, victim, Tywanza Sanders, had just finished college, had the world in front of him. And on that night, he stood in front of his 87-year-old great Aunt Susie and told the killer, you don't have to do this. We mean no harm to you. Or it was people like Cynthia Hurd, whose life motto was simply to be kinder than necessary. That's who these people were. They weren't famous, but they loved their families, they loved their church, and they loved their community. And we had an obligation to make sure that we got it right. The problem was, in the Senate, it passed pretty quickly because the pastor of the church was a senator. And I'll never get over the night of the murders. I called him. And I said, 
Pastor Pinckney, I'm so sorry about what happened. I will be there first thing in the morning. Anything your congregation needs, we will take care of them. And what haunts me to this day is that his cell phone was in his pocket and he was at the church. And he was one of the people that was murdered. So the Senate passed it through very quickly because their brother had been killed. It was the House that was so difficult. And the House, I remember, they came back and said, let's put a different flag up. And I said, no, I want the flag to come down. Then they came back and said, okay, they'll take the flag down, but they don't want to take down the pole. Well, I had been in the South Carolina legislature. I knew what that meant. That meant that as soon as the flag came down, another flag was going to go up after the national media went away. And they said to me, you could do this. This would be a win for you. But I didn't want any other governor to have to deal with what I was having to deal with. And finally, they said, we can't do it. They won't pass it. And I went to them, to the Republican caucus, and I said, I want to tell you a story. I said, when I was growing up... In a second. Now, in the same town hall, they asked her about this whole idea of woke. Listen to this. Woke, the word woke used to be used by progressives to talk about an awareness of inequities and historical inequities. But obviously it means something else to conservatives criticizing it. What does it mean to you? How do you define woke? There's a lot of things. I mean, you want to start with biological boys playing in girls' sports. That's one thing. The fact that we have gender pronoun classes in the military now. I mean, all of these things that are pushing what a small minority want on the majority of Americans, it's too much. It's too much. I mean, the idea that we have biological boys playing in girls' sports, it is the women's issue of our time. My daughter ran track in high school. I don't even know how I would have that conversation with her. How are we supposed to get our girls used to the fact that biological boys are in their locker rooms? And then we wonder why a third of our teenage girls seriously contemplated suicide last year? We should be growing strong girls, confident girls. Then you go and you talk about building a strong military. How are you going to build the morale in a strong military when you're doing gender pronoun classes? Why is it that... Why is it that you have, you know, kids undergoing critical race theory where if a little girl's in kindergarten, if she's goes into kindergarten, if she's white, you're telling her she's bad. If she's brown or black, you're telling her she's never going to be good enough and she's always going to be a victim. All of these things have gone to where they are pushing, you know, and transgender, the whole issue of the transgender. It's not that people don't think in America you should live the way you want to live. I want everybody to live the way they want to live. But stop pushing your views on everybody else. That's the problem is they're starting to push everything on the rest of us. Okay, so... Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. There was just a lot that you said, but but let me... There's a lot wrong in our country so, when it comes to that. Uh, okay, so let me deal with several things here. First and foremost, I will never, ever give Nikki Haley any credit 
for the Confederate flag coming down. Why? Because the Confederate flag came down in South Carolina because nine black people were murdered. How many times have I said on this show that black blood has had to be spilled in order for America to do what is right? Black blood was spilled, Jimmy Lee Jackson, in order to get the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Black blood was spilled in Mississippi, the assassination of Medgar Evers, 16th Street Baptist Church, uh, and numerous other uh, Cheney, Schwerner, Goodman. We can go on and on and on. The numerous times black people have been lynched in this country, murdered in this country, and all of a sudden the people said, ah, let's now pass those laws. We're just talking about police abuse and accountability. How many police departments actually begin to be held accountable after the death of George Floyd? She's always black blood. And so, oh, she wants, the national media wanted to come in and make it about race. Because it was. And we knew that. We knew what the hell this was. It did not take long to uncover the racist past or the racist reality of Dylan Roof. She's like, oh, two days later, this manifesto came out. No, that was uncovered within 24 hours. So the reason I will not give Nikki Haley any credit because it's not like she said, let's do the right thing, take it down. No, Nikki Haley supported that flag being up. She supported that flag staying up. But it wasn't until nine black people were killed in a Bible study when all of a sudden she found a conscience. I don't give credit to somebody doing the right thing after black people were killed. I don't give any credit to somebody when we've had to bury our own. No. See, a lot of times people will say stuff like, well, so-and-so so-and-so was a man of his times. Well, during slavery, there were white abolitionists. During slavery, there were people who did not believe in slavery. There was John Brown and lots of others. During Jim Crow, there were white people who stood against racism and bigotry. But the reality is that Nikki Haley, an Indian American woman, stood in support of the Confederate flag because she did not want to go against white conservative Republicans because she wanted to be governor. And now running for president, Nikki Nimrata, we are not going to allow you to act as if that black blood being spilled was not the sole reason why South Carolina did what they did. They had no choice. And even with those racists in the House trying to hold on to that flag, they knew nothing less than it coming down was acceptable. And then you hear Nikki 
asked about woke. And what does she immediately go to? She immediately ran to transgender. She don't want to deal with the reality what black folks uh, are saying when it comes to woke. She doesn't want to deal with the Moms for Liberty taking over school districts, majority black, and now firing black superintendents. She doesn't want to deal with the reality of racism in America, and then she lies about, oh, how kindergarten kids, white kids are being taught critical race theory. Nikki, you are a liar. You are a 100% liar. And we're not going to sit here and play these silly little games that we're seeing right now. Margie Bright, the senator, state senator in South Carolina, she, sorry, Margie Bright Matthews joins us right now. And I got to ask you, Senator, when you heard all of that from Nikki Haley now that she's running on the national stage trying to appeal to these MAGA Republicans, your thoughts? Um, exactly. Um along the same lines that you just um, enunciated. However, the most important thing we need to think about when we realize her comments on the issue of the flag coming down, she forgot to say that all of her two terms while governor, the flag was up. She never mentioned it. I've tried to verify what she said about calling um, some of our leaders um, to her office, but you know laws are made in the chambers. They're not made in the governor's office. They do not begin there. That's the first fallacy. The second thing is where she's talking about this flag, and prior to that, she talked about her father having a turban and her going to a farmer's market to get um, some food and how she felt that he was... Um, treated by police, somebody called the cops, and how she felt there was racial discrimination against her father. Well, you and I both know the flag in and of itself coming down does not impact racism in South Carolina. Where is she on the issue of hate crimes? That came up during her term, during the seven years that she was in office, and never did she call the leaders together to talk about that. So to me, it's disingenuous for her to now say that, oh, she did something for the issue of um, crimes, hate crimes in South Carolina and the issue that happened with Senator Pinckney. Senator Pinckney, and she never mentions his name in um, this address, unfortunately, earlier that week, he spoke from the state floor on the issues of guns, AR-15s, mass weapons. We believe that that's why he was targeted and basically assassinated along with the other eight people in Mother Emanuel. She never talks about that. Further in the town hall interview, she talks about her support that the government should not limit people to have AR-15. And she pretends that there's no problem with hate crimes in America. She does not believe in... She. You've heard the position, the... Um, unfortunate position she has chosen to take as it relates to wokeism, despite the fact that her father wears a turban, despite the fact that her daughter is engaged to an African-American man. I don't understand the position she has um, taken in reference to this, and Nikki has to do better. Well, we know what she's doing. She's appealing to the right wing right. because she needs their votes in the primary. She's got to run hard right. Right. And she's got to start. She's 
She's lining herself up for South Carolina. She's lining herself up because, number one, the abortions issue, she, um, she never answered that issue because we know that in South Carolina, in the Red South, of which she wants to gain traction, she knows she has to walk a straight line as to that issue, and she has to make sure that she um, supports guns rights. She knows she has to, she cannot do anything with their so-called um, government or constitutional second amendment rights. It's idiotic that she would in one say, in one um, verse, she says, oh, I don't support government intervening with red flag laws, but yet she supports government intervening with the abortion laws. Um, either you have a constitutional right or you don't. Either you support government intervening in a person's household or you don't. Yeah, uh, yeah. when you have her to say, don't you force your views on us. That's right. Isn't that what <laughs> uh, anti-abortion folks are doing? That's right. Senator Matthews, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for having me. All Good right. I want to talk to my panel on the flip side about this. We'll also hear from Dr. Cecilia Rouse about the economy. Then later, Senator Tim Scott, he goes on The View. Bruh, can you answer the question about systemic racism? I'm still waiting. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. On a next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, beware the generational curse. They're everywhere in our families, in our workplaces, and even in our churches. It's like a minefield, identifying the curse and knowing what to do about it. When we're talking about generational patterns, oftentimes we get locked into those patterns because we don't want anyone to say, oh, you acting brand new. Are you doing something different from how this is how we always did it? It's okay to do something different in order to get the results that you want to see in your life. That's next on A Balanced Life on Black Star Network. Next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr. The Supreme Court is back in session. God help us all. It is no exaggeration to say that this current session could completely reshape this country and redirect our future for generations to come, and not in a good way. We invite Dr. Felicia Watkins and Professor Angela Porter, our legal roundtable, back to the show to put it all in perspective. That's on the next Black Table. Please don't miss it. Right here on the Black Star Network. I'm Faraji Muhammad, live from L.A., and this is The Culture. The Culture is a two-way conversation. You and me, we talk about the stories, politics, the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. So join our community every day at 3 p.m. Eastern and let your voice be heard. Hey, we're all in this together, so let's talk about it and see what kind of trouble we can get into. It's The Culture, weekdays at 3, only on the Black Star Network. What's up, everybody? It's your girl, Latasha, from the A. And you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, let's go to our panel on this here. Julian, I'll start with you. Let's just be real here. Uh, we see the games that Nimrata is playing here. Uh, and the bottom line is, I ain't giving her no credit for any of that. No, she doesn't deserve any. 
she's a certified public fool, quite frankly, and she's shown it time and again. When she first came out and said she was running for president, she, she identified herself as a woman of color, which I found highly ironic and really repels the comment, woman of color, from me, because what are you talking about in terms of black women? What do you say her name is, Narada? Uh, uh, her actual name I, is Nimrada. She's Indian American, but she goes by Nikki. Okay. Um, yeah, I know her name is Nikki. I didn't know what her other name was. But, I, but basically, she deserves no credit. Beyond that, it is uh, partial for her to attempt to manipulate the race issue. But we're going to get a lot of that from South Carolina. We got it with her. We're going to have it with Tim Scott as well. So you, you were absolutely right, Roland. When he said, what does it mean by woke, she goes straight to trans. She can't go to race. She can't go to history. So she goes to trans. And that's a hot button issue for so many people, even though trans people are people. They have rights. Leave them alone. You know, my line about that is, you know, if you're not sleeping with me, I don't care who you're sleeping with. You know, but I have all my stuff together. I don't, I don't know what you're doing. And I don't want to know. This is it, the humanity of so many people has been denigrated. I don't see young men and women, um, except for some of the very entitled ones, really arguing about who's in the bathroom with them. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's not what this is about. Right. It's about basic human rights, and these are human rights that she has turned into a political football is absolutely wrong. Well, they don't want to deal with the reality, Avis, of, of what is happening with race in this country. Uh, and again, uh, trying to sit here and say, well, the national media want to make the shooting about race, which we knew what it was about. Hello. I know. It, it, is, it is really interesting to see the, the, the pretzel twist that she puts herself in to avoid uh, stating the obvious, and that is the reality of hate crimes in this nation and that particularly egregious hate crime right in her backyard. Uh, but it, it's, it's really interesting, too, to see how she, as you mentioned, lied on critical race theory. And this is one of those things, I'm telling you, that is particularly annoys me, uh, because, uh, you know, back before critical race theory was uh, talked about by Republicans every other breath, seemingly, I used it as the, as the theoretical underpinning of my dissertation. So I'm very familiar with critical race theory. And it's just very interesting to me to see all of these Republican who, quite frankly, have not picked up a book, I'm sure, uh, in the entire literature of critical race theory, paint all of these fictitious lies about what it is, uh, specifically saying that it's being taught to children in kindergarten, when honestly, it's not even taught typically even in undergraduate. You need to be a graduate student or in law school, oftentimes, to be uh, to read the literature, because it's a very high-level literature in the legal theory um, of, of canon. And so it's, it's just interesting to see how they always create a boogeyman in every election uh, just uh, to spiral lives around in order to tap into white fear uh, and white anger. And for this election and for previous ones, uh, it looks like they'll continue to use critical race theory as their whipping boy in order to get white folks in a frenzy about nothing. Maria? All I can say after watching that clip is Nimrata, please. She is going on and on and on about critical race theory and all these different issues and how the shooting at Mother Emanuel was not about race. To me, it only just reminds me of what MLK said, which is that the white moderate is the biggest impediment to black people actually making advancement in this country. If people like Nikki Haley actually spent time dealing with race issues and um, uh, unpacking race issues, if they put the amount of energy that they spend running away from race issues actually into dealing with race issues, we would be able to get somewhere. Dr. Malvo took the words right out of my mouth. When she first ran, she ran and said she was a woman of color, which actually was offensive to me. 
because she literally is running in a party where she can't even use her real first name, and that is Nimrata. So Nikki could have saved everything that she said. Nobody wants to hear it. It doesn't give her any points on the right. And Black people know what this is. And furthermore, I think the other thing, too, as some of the other folks highlighted, she spent so much time saying that, you know, these issues that the left is focusing on, like race issues and uh, gender issues, are things that nobody cares about. Well, I don't know any Black people who, within their first top five, I would say even top 10 issues that they care about when they go to the polls, Black or white, for that matter, would list oppressing trans people as one of their issues. People are not thinking about that. People are thinking about how can they pay their bills? How can they stop having to worry that their kids are going to go to school and possibly not return home because they were murdered at school because of some person coming in with a, with a, um, a rifle? These are the things that people are thinking about. People are thinking about how can I make sure that getting access to health care doesn't bankrupt me? The only people who are worried about actively oppressing trans people are her and her little friends. So she really just needs... I don't, I don't even understand what the point is of her even running this campaign, honestly. Uh, well, look, I mean, look, we understand how the culture wars work. We see what Ron DeSantis is doing. We see what they're doing. And so that's what the target goal is. And so uh, we're going to hear a whole lot where they're going to slap woke on everything. But again, they must be forced to literally uh, answer the questions. That's what's, it, that, that's what's important. And hell, they can't even define it. And that's just the reality. They can't define it. Uh, but uh, again, you know, sh she wants to present herself as some some somehow superhero because what happened with the confederate flag and how she how was so hard and she pulled these things together well <clears throat> i'm sure it was so hard with the black people who were who were gunned down in that church as well uh, and again black blood that's what caused it to happen that's what caused the change to actually uh, take place in south carolina all right folks hold tight one second when we come back we're going to talk about the new economic numbers why did black unemployment go up after going to a record low last month we'll talk to a top economic expert next right here on roland martin unfiltered on the black star network hatred on the streets a horrific scene a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence my simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. White people are losing their damn minds. There's an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear.
Five Star Network is here. I'm real um, revolutionary right now. Uh, thank you for being the voice of Black America. All the momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Sherry Shepard, with Sammy Roman. I'm Dr. Robin B, pharmacist and fitness coach, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, May's jobs report dropped on Friday showed gains and losses. Nearly 340,000 jobs were created, added to the more than 13 million created since President Joe Biden took office. Overall, unemployment remains under 4% the 16th month in a row, the lowest since the 1960s. However, unemployment for black workers rose 0.9 percentage points to 5.6% in May after setting a, a record low last month. Among black men, the rate increased to 5.6%. The numbers in, uh, uh, reached uh, up to 5.3% for black women. And joining me now is Dr. Cecilia Rouse. She is a professor of economics at Princeton University, well, she's more than a professor. She's a big dog there. Uh, she also uh, formerly head of the White House Council of Economic Advisors and shows she's one of the top economic brains in the country. All right, Doc, always good to see you. Hi, it's nice to be with you tonight. All right, so explain these numbers. What, what actually happened uh, with uh, black folks? Look, what this employment report showed was, is that the labor market in the U.S. continues to be extremely resilient, com to, continues to add jobs, is powering along. Uh, in terms of, you know, black folks, it's those numbers jump around from month to month. And so when, you know, the Council of Economic Advisors and those of us who look at these numbers carefully try not to focus on any one month. Last month, when it was a record low at 4.7 percent, I could not celebrate and expect that that's where it would remain because it just, for statistical reasons, this is not this is not saying anything functional about the economy. It's just the numbers that the Bureau of Labor Statistics is using when they're sampling, the numbers bounce around. So fundamentally, what we see, though, is that black unemployment is 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 lower than it has traditionally been. If we want to look at some of the change month to month for blacks, uh, with the, the increase for women, we saw that there was, a, or for men, we also saw that there was an increase in the labor force participation rate, which is a good thing. So some of that increase in unemployment may be due to the fact that more black men are actually looking for work, which we want them to do. You have to look for work in order to get a job. But I think it's really important not to overly focus on any one month. I think what's really important is that black people benefit when the economy is strong and when the labor market is strong, and that's what we're seeing today. We hear that labor participation. Explain that. Labor participation is so we have everybody who's out there in the United States, and then among those who are able-bodied, some of them are looking for work. In order to get a job, you have to be looking for work. So we call that the labor force participation. What is the fraction of the population that is actually looking for work or has a job? So uh, we need to see people. We, we think of labor force participation as being a measure of engagement in, in the labor market. When people think there are no jobs available, they give up looking, they, quote-unquote, drop out of the labor market, that is not typically a good thing. 
you know, obviously the choice to work is a is a personal choice, but for many people who want to, to look, sometimes they drop out because they just think there are no jobs available. So when people who've been on the sidelines actually start to look for work, that's a sign of a healthy labor market. It's something we need. It's, it's something uh, that is a sign of economic health, actually, or of a recovery, I should really say. All right. So can you explain this to me? I, I, all of these people out here, I swear, since, my goodness, since last summer, recession, recession, recession is coming, is coming, is coming. And then all of a sudden, you start seeing companies laying off people, anticipating the recession. And companies begin to pull back uh, when it comes to advertising and other spending because of the recession. And then I see that the NASDAQ uh, is at its highest since 1991. Uh, then I see, again, these unemployment numbers here. We continue to add jobs. So what the hell are these people talking about? And where's this recession they keep having the doom and gloom for the last year? Yeah. So, you know, the challenge is that this pandemic really did a number on our on our economy, not just for the U.S., but globally. And many of the relationships that have held traditionally have not been bearing fruit because the pandemic affected our global supply chains. That was the transportation of physical goods. But it also affected uh, human capital, people who decisions to work, making everyday decisions because there was a virus that could have you know, severe health consequences. And so there was a fundamental impact on our economy. We had our federal government really stepping in in unprecedented ways to help households, businesses get through the pandemic. That's that's what supported us. So we did not see a recession. Uh, I mean, there was a there was a quick recession at the beginning of the pandemic, but we've been recovering very rapidly since then. But fundamentally, we've got inflation, which is is not good for anybody. And inflation has been coming down. It is moderating, but it is still too high. Uh, and by traditional metrics, we would expect to see as inflation is coming down, the labor market would weaken. We're not seeing that again because this economy is very unusual. The, the challenge is that there, there's, there's, there are many threats on the horizon, potentially. That doesn't mean that they're going to come to bear, but they're potentially there. We had OPEC announce today that they're going to cut production, or at least Saudi Arabia is going to cut production by a million barrels a day. If that causes a big increase in oil prices, that's going to increase inflation. We had the debt ceiling negotiations. If, Cong if Congress didn't get it together and actually increase the debt ceiling, that would have meant that the full faith and credit of the United States government, which has been downrated, but it's been given a haircut, uh, that increases borrowing costs. That would have uh, caused a lot of econ economic turmoil. We have the continuing war of, of uh, you know, a war of uh, unprovoked war of aggression against Ukraine, which also is just precarious in this in this economy. So there are many threats. We don't know what's coming. I, I think what's important is that at the moment, this economy is showing remarkable resilience. That is the focus of the president, of everybody who cares, uh, the Federal Reserve. Uh, they are trying to do the right thing to try to bring inflation down while maintaining the extraordinary labor market that we currently have. So um, last question for you. Uh, obviously, you uh, spent uh, time in the White House there leading the White House Council of Economic Advisors. Um, got an election coming up. You're not there. You're back at Princeton. Um, this is obviously going to be something that is critically important on the campaign trail. You can now talk about that. No, no, mm -hmm. no Hatch Act violations. Uh, <laughs> and so what should the narrative be, uh, I would say specifically to African-Americans, what should Biden-Harris be saying to black voters about what they have accomplished economically and why they should be rewarded with another four years? 
Well, look, I, I am not the politician, but what I will say, <laughs> what I will say is that this recovery and this pandemic did not have to be this remarkable, this fast, this equitable. That this in an, this is an administration that truly cares about generating real economic gains, not just you know, especially not for the very wealthy. President uh, Biden, along with uh, Vice President Harris, care a lot about working people. They care a lot about African Americans, Hispanics, uh, Native Americans. They are really working hard to ensure that there are gains for all Americans and that those gains are equitably shared. Uh, so that is that is rare for a president to really be paying attention not just to the very wealthy. Uh, who often are contributing to campaigns and who generate, you know, look, the very wealthy are generating a lot of innovation in this economy. Uh, but we know that inequality is very high in this this in this country, unsustainably high in my in my view. And this is a president that wants to see better economic growth than we've had in the recent past, and he wants to ensure that those gains are really more equitably shared. All right, Dr. Cecilia Rouse at Princeton, we appreciate it. Always great to see you. Nice to see you, too. All right. Thanks so much. All right, folks, going to go to a break. When we come back. Uh, we'll talk with my panel uh, about this. We'll talk about Senator Tim Scott on The View. Lord, what did I play for y'all what he had to say? Lord, brace yourselves. You're watching Roland Martin on the Filter on the Black Star Network. YouTube, folks, hit that like button. We should be easily over 1,000 likes. What is taking y'all so long? Also, download the Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Rose Coop. Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Also, support our Bring the Funk fan club. Your dollars make it possible for us to do what we do, travel around the country, broadcasting the news, what we do every single day. I'm sitting right here, y'all. A bunch of y'all have sent your money orders and checks. Yep, uh, I'm literally sitting here depositing them uh, as we speak. Send check and money orders to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Uh, you can also, of course, support us. Uh, by uh, electronic methods, Cash App, which is so much easier, y'all. Just letting y'all know. Cash App, Dallas I, RM Unfiltered, PayPal, R Martin Unfiltered, Venmo is RM Unfiltered, Zell, Roland at RolandSMartin.com, Roland at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com, and of course, um, uh, Venmo. Uh, again, RM Unfiltered. All right, folks, uh, I'll be back in a moment. When you talk about blackness and what happens in black culture, you're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause to long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100,000, so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Check some money orders. Go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037 dash. 0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Coming up next on the frequency right here on the Black Star Network, Shanita Hubbard. We're talking about the ride or die chick. We're breaking it down. The stereotype of the strong black woman. 
some of us are operating with it as if it's a badge of honor. Like you even hear black women like aspiring to be this ride or die chick, aspiring to be this strong black woman trope at their own expense. Next on the frequency right here on the Black Star Network. Me, Sherry Shebrit. I'm Sammy Roman. I'm Dr. Robin B, pharmacist and fitness coach, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, uh, check with our panel here. Dr. Um, Julian Mavo, I'm going to start with you. You're an economist here. And uh, again, when we, when, when we see all of these people, they've been predicting doom and gloom. Uh, and actually, it's driving Fox News and Fox Business, Maria <laughs> Bartiromo, and the Republicans absolutely crazy because they really want the economy to crater. They really do, and it's not going to. I mean, as uh, Cecilia said, Dr. Rouse said, we have a very strong labor market. Now, it's not at all perfect, and there are lots of, lots of pressures. Uh, she didn't address, and I, one of the things that bothers me is a gap in the labor force participation rate among men, white men. You know, nearly 70 percent black men hovering, you know, at 60. A 10 percent difference in participation really does speak to basically the wealth gap, an opportunity gap. Um, but, you know, as a, from a macro perspective, the Biden administration has done a fair job. I'd give him a B. I wouldn't give him an A, but I'd give him a B from, from a macro perspective. From a micro perspective, there hasn't been enough targeting to the African-American community, and we know it. So while... Um, President Biden can make a strong case for black Americans. As long as you see these disparities, people are not going to be but so excited. And as uh, we talked about in the last segment about Cop City, and when we see these so-called progressive Democrats, you know, they're hanging on to their law and order pearls, it really does not help black folks uh, want, want to work with them. The, the economy has done okay. We've had a lot of challenges. I think the oil situation uh, is, is going to make things worse if they, if they follow up. And we don't know whether they'll follow up or not. But, but as I said, from a macro perspective, not a lot to complain about. One thing we do should should be worried about or concerned about is that debt ceiling um, de deal, which is going to affect the um, farm bill probably and some other things that really do trickle down to the people who are the, what Reverend Jackson often calls the least of the left out. So even though everybody was taking victory laps, uh, and I'll give President Biden big uh, credit for holding the line on Social Security and Medicare. And I also give Hakeem Jeffries big credit for holding his caucus together. While Republicans are walking around looking like chickens with their heads cut off. The fact is that the reason why we got the deal is because Democrats stuck together. So I'll give them big credit for that. But we don't know, turn the page, what's going to happen next. And I am very concerned about the economy in the wake of that. You know, um, Renita, you know, they are going to have to uh, craft an economic narrative uh, that is going to be, uh, you know, critically important uh, to counter what you're going to hear for the right. They are going to have to craft an economic narrative, but I really think that it should not start with the jobs report. And the reason why I say that, I know that a lot of times elected officials like to lean on job reports, um, particularly presidents and those are who, who are running for president. But the reason why I think it, that they shouldn't use it is because it's so disconnected from what the average person um, actually is thinking about when they think about how the economy is doing as it relates to um, jobs. And so what I mean by that is you can say that this is a good jobs report, but these jobs reports never track um, if people actually feel like they have a good job. These are just tracking jobs. And so people generally think of a good job as 
a job that they can work 40 hours a week and be able to afford the basic necessities of life. And that is why it is so tricky to use these job reports, because a lot of times the job reports don't match the on the ground feeling of what people are actually experiencing um, day to day. And so that's why I wish that the uh, Biden administration would focus on things that people tangibly could not deny, which is raising the minimum wage, you know, getting a larger paycheck, um, which allows you to be able to afford the basic necessities of life. Those are things that are just undeniable. You barely even have to campaign on those things. People feel those results. People feel that support. And it just make their it makes their lives easier. Davis. Yeah, you know, I, I do think that generally speaking, though, the the this economy is, um, you know, it's it's better than it could have been given all that he faced when he first came in here. I mean, th this has been a, a long road to get here, and there have been uh, efforts to uh, improve the situation over the past years that I think have led to. Um, some bright spots. I, I don't think it's a it's a it's something that we should just sort of ignore the fact that just with the last report there was a historic low in terms of black unemployment rates. Now I do know that there is a huge difference between uh, having a job and having a livable wage. I think that is a very important and strong point to make. But just in terms of these metrics that we have been looking at for years and years and years and years, uh, given everything that this country faced with regards to having the world economy basically come to almost a halt during the pandemic, uh, having a million people lose their lives, uh, having people who were out of work for a couple of years for, for and really having this administration come in and push through legislation to put money in people's pockets, there's just been a lot that has had to happen uh, to really jumpstart this economy over the past couple of years. And so, yes, there's more that can be done, but I think we do need to realize that there's some significant um, progress has, in fact, been made. All right, folks, uh, hold tight one second. We come back. Uh, Cordell West announces a third-party run for president. We'll show you his video. Senator Tim Scott goes on The View. Sonny asks him about systemic racism. He says a whole bunch of nothing. We'll show you when we come back. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Sun Network. On a next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, beware the generational curse. They're everywhere in our families, in our workplaces, and even in our... My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council churches. It's like a minefield, identifying the curse and knowing what to do about it. When we're talking about generational patterns, oftentimes we get locked into those patterns because we don't want anyone to say, oh, you acting brand new. Are you doing something different from how this is how we always did it? It's okay to do something different in order to get the results that you want to see in your life. That's next on A Balanced Life on Black Star Network. On the next Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, are you working hard and yet your performance doesn't reflect your paycheck? 
On the next Get Wealthy, you're going to learn some savvy career moves so that all your efforts actually show up in your bank account. Joining us is the founder of a career network, and she's going to share the three R's of accelerating your financial growth. Here's a tip as well. If you are an individual contributor and you desire to be a leader, do the work where you are now. Because if you do the work where you are now, when you do reach the level, you'll be prepared to stay there. Right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network. Bruce Smith, creator and executive producer of The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Sandra Aguilar has been missing from her San uh, Tan Valley, Arizona home since April 23rd. The 17-year-old is 5 feet 3 inches tall, weighs 130 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. Anyone with information about Sandra Aguilar is urged to call the uh, Padai uh, County as the Arizona Sheriff's Office at 520-866-5111, 520-866-5111. All right, Cornell West has announced he is running for president of the United States. He dropped this video uh, on Twitter. Yo, that's a tweet. Where's the video? In these bleak times, I have decided to run for truth and justice, which takes the form of running for president of the United States as a candidate for the People's Party. I enter in the quest for truth. I enter in the quest for justice. And the presidency is just one vehicle to pursue that truth and justice, what I've been trying to do all of my life. I come from a tradition where I care about you. I care about the quality of your life. I care about whether you have access to a job with a living wage, decent housing, women having control over their bodies, health care for all the escalating, the destruction of the planet, the destruction of American democracy. Democracy creates disruption. It creates an eruption. It creates an interruption. Wide from below, the energies of everyday people is manifest. And I know there are precious people in your life who you care for. That's why it's important for you to be involved important for you to participate. We're not talking about hating anybody. We're talking about loving. We're talking about affirming. We're talking about empowering those who have been pushed to the margins. Because neither political party wants to tell the truth about Wall Street, about Ukraine, about the Pentagon, about big tech. Neo-fascists like Brother Trump or milquetoast neoliberals like Brother Biden. Wow, well, I'm so okay. happy to make a world-shaking decision. You know what I mean? Well, I know gangsters when I see them. <laughs> and gangsters not a subjective expression. It's an objective condition. Mm. Do we have what it takes? We shall see. But some of us are going to go down fighting 
go down swinging with style and a smile, accenting the best in you and trying to tease out the best in me. Let's do it together. All right, so here's the issue, uh, Avis. And so we think about third parties in this country. Look, you got two major parties, Republicans uh, and Democrats, all right? Uh, the Libertarian Party, they have ballot access in 33 states, okay? Mm -hmm. The Green Party has ballot access in 17 states. The Constitution Party has ballot access in 12 states. The People's Party has ballot access in three. <laughs> Isn't this a vanity project? Yeah, this is this is a symbolic project. Uh, definitely, you can see that he doesn't really have the reach, for example, to just in terms of ballot access, if you laid out there, to ha make the same sort of damaging impact, shall we say, uh, that a Ralph Nader did. Uh, however, you know, as you, we've seen him over the years. You know, we saw his... Um, transformation from fan of Barack Obama to nemesis of Barack Obama. And we've seen his activity uh, continue to increase uh, in relation to supporting uh, the Bernie campaign. So, you know, I think that he has now had a, a, a moment in his life where he's trying to do something else. I know that he ran into some sort of challenge, you know, at Harvard. I'm not sure exactly where he landed now. But maybe this is some sort of um, you know, I want to get back into the spotlight. Maybe he misses a little bit of politics, and maybe this time he wants to be the one in the center, at least for a few for a few opportunities. I mean, look, uh, in in 1988, Juliana Lenora Fulani, she ran uh, uh, and got ballot access in all 50 states with a New Alliance party, uh, and a lot of people out here who are always talking about, oh man, we need our own party, not understanding that. That, that means infrastructure. Like, you literally have to do some work to put that thing together. You, you just don't just go, hey, here's a party. I mean, and so there are rules that, that exist in every single state. So to have a real party, you've got to have infrastructure and access to the ballot. If they only got, they only in three, they only in three states, I'm just saying. What it's it, rhetorical. You know, Roland, it's rhetorical leadership. That's all it is. I mean, I love Cordell. Now, dearly, we go back more than 50 years. Shouldn't say that, but it's the truth. Um, I think the world of him, but I think that this is, it's got, it's got to be rhetorical leadership. It's impractical. He can't win it. As you say, it's three states. But you know what? We've seen these rhetorical leaders often raise the kind of issues that then trickle up to the, if you will, real campaigns. So, you know, he is a passionate social justice, social economic justice warrior. Um, he connects very well with lots of folks um, and doesn't connect well with us. some other ones, but that's another story. But, I mean, he connects well with lots of folks, and people enjoy hearing him talk. If he gets the same kind of uh, debate access that, let's say, Marianne Williamson had in the 20 campaign, what impact might that have? But she uh, ran, her she party didn't have ballot access either. So I'm just saying it's a, rhetorical, it's a rhetorical exercise. <laughs> it's not a, a, a political exercise. No, no, what I'm saying here, Rudy, that, that if he actually chose to run as a Democrat, that's a different ball game. But you're talking about you're, you're running with a party that can't get you anywhere. You're not going to be in any debates, okay? So what gives? 
I think this is totally fine. I think ballot access does not matter. And here's why I say that. Even when you have third-party candidates that do have access in all 50 states, um, they still really don't have a chance because most people kind of understand that the two parties are so polarized that you've got to sort of pick a side about where you are. And a lot of times, third-party candidates in the, end up um, trying to reach out to both parties, which is pretty much impossible because then people feel like they get nothing. And so um, I think that this is good. And, and, and the reason why I say that is because the Internet has no ballot access. And so by virtue of the fact that he's even running for president, he's going to get some attention. And what that will do, because this is not going to have any effect on the right, what that will do for Democrats is help our nominee sharpen what he's going, how he's going to talk about what Democrats have done, talk about what he has done, which, by the way, I mean, because when you, when you have a primary where you just kind of walk right through it, which we know with, as you mentioned, the ballot access, he's not going to have a chance at um, really changing anything for Biden. But I think that it will be good that he will have the opportunity. He's going to talk about what Democrats have done. Biden will have to think about sharpening how he will explain his record. And I do think that it is not good when people just walk right into the um, walk right into the general election and they have not had that practice of sort of having to explain what, what their record has been and what they're campaigning on, because we know that Republicans are going to prosecute the case against Democrats. And so for that reason, I think that even though his, the party that he's running under only has ballot access in three states, the reality is he's going to get attention because he is running for president. Not the same amount of attention as the two-party nominees or, or the, the nominee for the Republicans and the Democrats, but he will get some attention. Well, speaking of attention, Senator Tim Scott got some of that by going on The View today, and he was asked by uh, Sonny Hostin uh, about uh, systemic racism. Here's how that went. Senator, I, I am actually happy that you're here. We, we, we have some things in common. You grew, up, you grew up in a single-family household, single-mother household. I grew up with both of my parents, but raised in the Bronx projects amidst a lot of poverty and, and, and uh, violence. And you are the first black senator elected in the South since the Reconstruction. That would be about, I think, about 114 years. Yet you say that your life disproves uh, left, leftist lies. And, and yes. my question to you is... I'm the exception, right? You're the exception. Maybe even Miss Whoopi Goldberg is the exception. Oh, she's but, definitely the but, but we are not the rule. <laughs> and so when it comes to racial inequality, it persists in, in five core aspects of life in the U.S. Economics, education, health care, criminal justice, and housing. At nearly every turn, these achievements were fought, threatened, and erased, most often by white violence. You have indicated that you don't believe in systemic racism. What is your definition of systemic racism? Let me ask, answer the uh, question that you've answered. Does it or does it even exist yeah. in your mind? Let me, let me uh, answer the question this way. One of the things that I think about, and one of the reasons why I'm on the show, is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message to send to our young people today, that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. I will tell you that if my life is the exception, uh, 
I can't imagine. But, I can't but it is. But it's not, actually. Here's, here's, it's been here's 114 my, years. Yeah, so, so the fact of the matter is we've had an African-American president, African-American uh, vice president. We've had two African-Americans to be secretaries of the state. Uh, in my home city, uh, the police chief is an African-American who's now running for mayor. The head of the Highway Patrol for South Carolina is an African-American. Still in exceptions. 19, in 1975, um, there was about 15% employment in the African-American community for the first time in the history of the country. It's under 5%. 40% homelessness and 50% of, of African-Americans of the folks get, in our community get 13% make, I, of the population. You had a chance to ask the question. I know that I've watched you on the show that you like people to be deferential and respectful, so I'm going to do the that same thing. True. So here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest the fact of the matter is that progress in America is palpable. It can be measured in generations. I look back at the fact that my grandfather, born in 1921 in Sally, South Carolina, when he was on a on a sidewalk, a white person was coming, he had to step off and not make eye contact. That man believed then, with some doubt now, in the goodness of America, because he believed in having faith in God, mm -hmm. faith in himself, and faith in what the future could hold for his kids, would unleash opportunities in ways that you, you cannot imagine. Every kid today can look, just change the stations and see how much mm -hmm. progress has been made in this country. ABC, NBC, CBS, ESPN, CNN, Fox News all have African-American and Hispanic hosts. So what I'm suggesting is that the yesterday's exception is today's rule. And for us to so suggest... So America has met its promise. No, of course, the, the concept of America is that we are going to become a more perfect union. But in fact, the challenges that we face 50 years ago and 60 years ago should not be the same challenges that we face today. And here's the way that you, you measured that. When my mother was born, about 10% of African-Americans got a high school degree, wow. diploma. Today, it's over 90%. When you look at the income, when you look at the income success that That's we've had... HBCU stat. Well, listen, HBCU stat is a good okay. one because one of the reasons <laughs> why I took the funding for HBCUs to the highest level in the history of the country and then I helped make it permanent is because I believe that education is the closest thing to magic in America. So I'm about making sure that our kids have as many opportunities to succeed as possible. It's one of the reasons why... I need I did... an opportunity to well, succeed. Me, 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 <laughs> wait, because I have to go to... Bre oh, they're we begging. Have more time, though. They're begging. They're coming back. I'm just getting started. I, know. I believe all people can see the success that I've had. You know, I, I, I sat and I listened to everything you said. Yes. And I wonder why these conversations don't seem to be held with Republicans. All of the exceptional stuff you're talking about. And one of the reasons we continue to have new exceptionalism is because every time folks make 40 steps forward, they get dragged 40 steps back. So how do we, as a, as a, as a nation, because as a nation, we, we seemingly get on the right track and then we go backwards. So you as a black man and as one of the, are there two black? Yeah, 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 yeah. Senators? Yeah. Yeah. Raphael Warren. Raphael, that's right. Uh, three now. Three. Three. We, 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 we still count Cory Booker, okay? Right. Cory and Warren on one side and me on the other side. So that's three. Yes. But you yourself have talked about when the police stopped you. Absolutely. And I, so how can you get your party to stop trying to stop the progression that people are making? Yeah, so that's what I complained about when, when I spoke about yeah. I want you to come out and say, listen, the Republicans have these issues. So Yeah, I think yeah. 
humans have these issues. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the issue of discrimination that I have faced, I assume you face as well, uh -huh. is an issue of the heart. Mm -hmm. It's not Republicans or Democrats. Frankly, both sides of the aisle can do better job on the issue of race. And frankly, my side of the aisle, I think, is doing a fabulous job of making progress. The All right, y'all. So, okay, that's a whole lot of... So let, let me get, do this right here. First of all, Senator Tim Scott never actually answered the question that Sonny raised about systemic racism. What he did was he brought up all of these little individual anecdotal stories, which we all know that's how you actually avoid. See, if you say my mama and my daddy uh, and me and my cousin, that's four people. Systemic means system, okay? Literally last week, Vice President Kamala Harris talked about what the Biden administration is doing to combat systemic racism and bias in the algorithms when it comes to the valuation of homes. Yep, that's systemic. Systemic is when we know how black-owned media is being frozen out of the $322 billion being spent annually in the advertising industry. Oh yeah, we get 0.5 to 1%. That's called systemic. Systemic is when you look at the disproportion of the people who are on death row and who committed, who were convicted and put on death row for crimes they did not commit, how many of them are black? That's systemic. And see, then what Senator Tim Scott then does is this cute little game of, we have a black sheriff. We have a black mayor. We have a black this. Let me help you all out. When Thurgood Marshall became the first African-American on the Supreme Court, racism did not just magically evaporate in the criminal justice system. It didn't. When Doug Wilder became the first African-American governor elected since Reconstruction, hell, that didn't eliminate racism in Virginia. You show me the first black mayor of a city, doesn't mean discrimination in that city somehow went poof, it's now gone. Show me the first black CEO. I'll show you, you still have fundamental problems with discrimination in companies. See, so what Tim Scott likes to do, y'all, is this cute little black conservative dance. And that is, look at all the progress we've made. Yes, we all acknowledge that. We all acknowledge Sonny sitting on the desk and Whoopi sitting on the desk but it wasn't until two years ago when ABC News got their first black president. Has Disney ever had a black CEO, Tim? Nope. Are we actually seeing significant numbers of African-Americans in corporate America, in many of these places? No. Federal government, Tim, $560 billion spent every single year on contracts. African-Americans get 1.67% of all federal contracts. We'll talk about systemic racism there. In lending, in finance. We can go on and on and on. See, but the rally is Tim, Tim Scott does not want to deal with that because that doesn't play well with his white Republican base. And that's why he gives these, I mean, a girl like me, I mean, look at what I've done. Look at what I was able to achieve. Yes, Tim. <laughs> That's you. But the reality is, as Sonny stated, we know that there are exceptions.
And exceptions don't mean that, well, a few of us, when you still are talking to black people who were the first in a generation to go to college, Tim also talked about, oh my goodness, there used to be 10% of African Americans who received a diploma, high school diploma. Today, it's 90%. Answer this question for me, Tim. Why is it that an African-American with a college degree makes less than a white person with a high school diploma? Come on. Tim, I'll wait. I'll wait, Tim. Then Tim Scott lied. That's why I voted. I made funding for HBCs permanent. That is a lie. Tim Scott is repeating the Donald Trump lie. What was made permanent was $85 million. Player, it's 107 HBCUs. So you did not make permanent funding permanent. You made a program, a one program, and actually it wasn't you, it was, it was Representative Alma Adams who pushed that through. Thank you. So can we please stop this lie, this Republican lie about Trump made permanent funding for HBCUs? That is a lie. And Tim Scott lied. And so please, if you're going to go on these shows, don't sit here and play, folks. Because, I, I, Tim, I would love for you to come here and have this conversation. <laughs> but you know I'm going to fact check your ass in real time. Because you can't lie here like you did on The View. Real quick from our panel before I go to the break, and then go to our Fit Live Win segment. Uh, I'll start uh, with you, uh, Renita. What Tim Scott is doing is so offensive, particularly to black people. And it's like I said a couple of weeks ago, Tim Scott basically is just saying anything bad that is happening to black people, it's all about their attitude. And so if you think about it, how many times have we seen it to where banks were, we find out banks were charging black um, people needing mortgages um, a higher interest rate or charging them more in fees? So my question to Tim Scott would be, what type of attitude do I need to have in order to make sure that I am not being charged more by banks? Um, we talked about the shooting at Mother Manuel earlier in the show. Hey, Tim, what type of attitude do black people need to have to make sure that they can go to church and not be shot up by a white supremacist? Like, what he's saying is just so offensive if you actually have lived as a black person in this country, because we know that there are so many things that happen to us and that can happen to us that cannot happen to other communities, and it has nothing to do with our attitude. It's just systemic racism. Julian? You know, he exhibited his extreme ignorance by not answering Sonny's question, but he can't answer the question. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. All right, come here. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. He doesn't know the answer. He walks around. Uh, he, that was basically the reflection of his campaign or whatever. When he announced that he was running for president, he says, I am, you know, I'm the antidote to the liberal lies because I have succeeded. Well, let's look at things we've talked about in this program already. Black unemployment, it's down, but we still have a gap between black male uh, participation and white. We could, go, we could go through item by item by item. But at the end of the day, Tim Scott is, is, is playing games uh, with black America's future because if he wants to just be 
uh, Bubba the buffoon, that's fine, but he should not be running around talking about there's no racism. This uh, plays to a narrative that anybody with a brain knows is just not a true narrative. I, I, I abhor, you know, what he's doing out there, but certainly, you said earlier, Roland, that he lied. What's new? Republicans would know the truth if it gave him a million-dollar check. I mean, they, they, they have an aversion to the truth, so he's no more than your basic Republican. Uh, Avis? Yeah, he knows how to play the game to stay where he is. I mean, yes, he's the first uh, senator from from South Carolina in over 100 years, but and he has been able to win re-election, but he didn't get there initially through an election. He got there through an appointment. And so, you know, it, had that not happened, he may not have ever been there in the first place. Uh, I, I would also say that he, all of his accomplishments that he ticked off, he sort of left off the fact that as far as my interpretation of the situation, he pulled the old bait and switch when it came to the Justice and Policing Act. You know, he was the one who was supposed to make sure that he was negotiating in good faith in order to make sure it got the, through the finish line. And at the last minute, uh, he comes back with other, um, other sort of requirements, which actually killed the bill. And so, you know, the bottom line is that he is doing what he needs to do to be in that position from the state that he is from and in the party that he is in. He knows the dance that he needs to uh, undertake, and that's exactly what he's doing. All right, folks, hold tight one second. We come back, we'll talk Alzheimer's in our Fit Live Win segment. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. When you talk about blackness and what happens in black culture, you're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause too long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Checks and money orders go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037 dash Zero one nine six. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zell is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Coming up next on the frequency right here on the Black Star Network, Shanita Hubbard. We're talking about the ride or die chick. We're breaking it down. The stereotype of the strong black woman. Some of us are operating with it as if it's a badge of honor. Like you even hear black women like aspiring to be this ride or die chick, aspiring to be this strong black woman trope at their own expense. Next on the frequency right here on the Black Star Network. Hello, we're the Critter Fixers. I'm Dr. Bernard Hodges. And I'm Dr. Terrence Ferguson. And you're tuned in to Roland Martin Unfiltered.
All right, folks, uh, Fit Live Win 7, we're talking about the issue of Alzheimer's. And unfortunately for African-Americans, uh, we are greatly impacted uh, disproportionately uh, than anyone uh, else. So, of course, uh, we've seen uh, in cases where not only we're seeing uh, early onset Alzheimer's impact African-Americans as well. You look at Alzheimer's patients over 65, 14%, 14% of all Alzheimer's patients over 65 are African-American. Yet just 10% of them are white. So when you look at that, I mean, that clearly shows uh, we have a, um, a fundamental issue. Of course, uh, it is a cognitive disease uh, that uh, impacts uh, the memory uh, of people. Uh, and, and you have research that is continuing. But the question is, uh, how do we deal with this? It's All-Time Awareness Month. Dr. Tomiko, Tomiko McGee-Rogers, she's Associate Director, Recruitment and Strategic Initiatives at Global Alzheimer's Platform Foundation. Glad to have you here. Uh, and so uh, what do researchers say? Why, why are we as African-Americans uh, impacted more? Uh Thank you, Roland, uh, for having me today. Um, I appreciate what you're doing for the black community and this important topic, right? Um, so the reason behind it, we need more information, but there are factors around brain health and a lack of education, right? And making the connection between diet, exercise, and cognition. I did want to highlight um, that we just learned in a research uh, presented in 2022 at the an Alzheimer's conference that actually show people who experience chronic racism have lower memory scores and worse cognition. So this definitely, right, speaks to those disparities, right? And then also just understanding that we experience racism at all levels, uh, structural, interpersonal, and institutional racism. And those who experience pervasive racism experience greater stress, which in turn contributes to cognitive decline. So do we, I mean, so do we know really um, what causes Alzheimer's? Uh, and 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 can there be things to prevent it? Yes, yes, there are. There can be things to prevent it. Um, there are risks associated with Alzheimer's, uh, risk uh, diabetes, um, uh, cardiovascular issues, right? Um, obesity, um, lack of sleep. Um, those are some risk factors, right? Pollutants in the air. Um, these are all risk factors that can put you more at risk of developing Alzheimer's. But what we can do, yes, there are things we can do. We can watch the what, what we eat, improve our diet, improve the, the amount of sleep we get, because sleep is so important, right, especially to our cognitive health. Um, we can also just make sure we are, you know, we continue to be social, right? Um, we interact with other people, right? And then also what we um, also like to inform people, just to make sure they're aware and educated about what Alzheimer's disease is. And then also understand that Participating in a study is also an option for people to consider. Uh, so we can learn more about these drugs that they have out there here, these interventions to ensure that it works for our community. All right, a question from our panel. Uh, Julian, you first. Uh, sure. When I think about Alzheimer's and the, um, just the, the impact on quality of life and everything else, I'm wondering if there aren't things that, that we can do. I've just visited with a friend whose mom doesn't remember her. Now, this, that situation is is done. I like, pretty much is, is there is there a road back from Alzheimer's, or once it is, it is is I mean, yeah. yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. So right now there are some new treatments and therapies that um, you know the FDA is looking at and has approved. But again, we just need to know more. 
um, right now. As we talked about, there are ways to hopefully prevent prevent getting to that you know point, maybe delaying it a little bit, but still right now we really don't have a cure for Alzheimer's disease. So uh, to answer your question, there's just a lot more we need to do and clinical, you know, studying, uh, participating in a, a study is one way we can learn more about, um, you know, finding a, a cure for Alzheimer's. Renita? Thank you for being here. You mentioned earlier about cardiovascular health and Alzheimer's. Is there a link between exercise and Alzheimer's? Yes, there is a link. Um, there's studies that show if you remain active, um, walking, you know, as little as walking, and just being active on a daily basis, you will um, help to prevent your risk of um, developing Alzheimer's. So that's why we try to encourage those people, you know, to, to stay active, right? Um, to look again at your diet, right? And then also just be aware of your surroundings. I know sometimes you know, it's hard for people to get that sleep, right? Because of outside noise. And we're also looking into that too. Um, so many um, studies going around, just looking at ways we can help prevent uh, those Alzheimer's uh, symptoms. Yeah, my question was gonna go to the issue of prevention as well. And also mm -hmm. I'm thinking about uh, heredity. Like is, is, right. is there a link in terms of heredity if your parents or grandparents suffered from, are you more likely? And are those measures that you just mentioned in terms of increased activity, good diet, mm -hmm. is that enough to counteract the effect, the effects of potential hereditary um, increased uh, likelihood of coming down with Alzheimer's in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. Yes, there is a link to hereditary um, that it is genetic, but again, right, everyone it looks different as far as the, the, the genetic breakdown. So again, Global Alzheimer's Platform Foundation, we actually did a biomarker study to understand those differences, right? When we look at blood biomarkers, genetic biomarkers, to see if there's any differences across um, races and ethnicities. And we're still learning more, but right now, um, unfortunately, you know, one thing we know, exercise can help, but we still need to know more if it can mitigate the risk um, that is associated with genetic um, uh, disposition. Tamika, where can people go to get more information? Yes, they can go to our uh, website, which is um, the Global Alzheimer's um, Platform uh, Foundation, which is Global Alz, G-L-O-B-A-L-A-L-Z, platform.org, slash, backslash, map. And they can actually find more information if you're interested in learning more about what the procedures are involved in a clinical trial, or just learning more about understanding Alzheimer's and the risks that we talked about and being more educated about what's out there. Because we do have a team at Community Connectors that are out there trying to raise awareness and education in our black community. All right then, Tamika, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. All right then, folks, that is it from us. I appreciate that. Uh, Avis, Renita, and Julian, thanks so much for joining us uh, as well. Uh, folks, uh, don't forget, support us in what we do. First off, uh, y'all on YouTube, y'all still sitting here watching. Hit that like button. More than, more than 3,000 of y'all watching, uh, just 1,500 likes. So hit that button before we go. It impacts the algorithm, which impacts us uh, being uh, searched, which impacts revenue for the show. So please do that. 
Uh, also, of course, download the Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. We also want you to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Your dollars make it possible for us to do what we do. Uh, and so uh, there are folks who sent us uh, checks and money orders. Sharon, Cheryl, Dugan, Rosalind, Fluker, Powell, Larry Dyer, Victoria Sickles, George Henderson, William Smith, Ernest Mims, Shauna Cox, David Hopkins, Linda Moore, Sharon Kanzler, Shirley Morrow, Rodney Curtin, Dolores Knight, Gaylene Davenport, Ru uh, Ruby Hoofkin, Catherine Fuqua, Latifa Muhammad, Phyllis Jackson Ware, Knox Toll Jr., Odell W. Williams, George Daniels, Veraline Robinson, Barbara Jones, Renee Swearinger, Edward L. Young, Nancy Piles, Kathy Lowe, Gloria J. Hunter, John H. Ward, Allie Stokes, William Douglas Wade, Carol Williams, Eva B. and Willie Dockery, Odell Bryant, Veronica L. Gales Short, A. Cook Gibson, Roz Frazier, Frank Stovall, uh, Trisha Lashmet, Zachary Claude, Joan Owens, Kevin and Cheryl Taylor Earl, uh, Guinevere Butler, Napoleon Keys, E.R. Wilson, Charlene Cotman, Alicia Cook, Rosalind Frazier. We appreciate it. Check in money orders, y'all. Go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal, R. Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale, rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com uh, for the folks who drop cash out during the show. Uh, Robert Mason, thank you for that huge contribution. I appreciate it, Robert. Uh, you get a special shout out. Uh, Jacqueline Thomas, also want to thank Marvin Hunter, uh, as well as Jerome Price uh, and Holly, Carmen Nicholson, Mervyn Smith, Erica Brown, Johnny Stewart, Johnny Sattler, Shatina Barr, Mark Abrams. Uh, let's see, Tracy Coleman, S.D. Dickens, Schwan Marcano, Jared Thompson, Kerry Smith, Nicole Savage, Cream, Troy Balance, Charlene Perry, Daryl uh, Johnson, uh, Mary Matthews. Folks, trust me, your donations are critical. We're doing all we can to, drop, to increase our advertising support, uh, but trust me, your dollars ma matter when you join our Bring the Funk fan club. Now, goal is simple. Of 20,000 of our supporters, I got, I got a one, nearly 1.1 million YouTube subscribers. All right. We got 670,000 on Instagram, about 600 plus thousand on Twitter, a million three on Facebook. If just out of the 4 million people that follow me, if just 20,000 people contribute an average of 50 bucks each, that raises a million dollars annually to fund what we do here at the Black Star Network. That is a huge, huge thing for us uh, to actually do. And so please, uh, the opportunities for you to give are right there. Uh, it, it matters. Uh, we're going to be in Jackson, Mississippi later this week uh, for the Megger and Merle Evers Institute. And so your resources pay for that. We've got upcoming events happening all across the country. We've got a Juneteenth event uh, that's actually happening uh, in Houston, Texas uh, on June 17th. Uh, and so, you know, we want you to support that as well. So there's a lot that's going on. So your support really does matter. So we're going to show it one more time. Uh, support us in what we do. Again, check in money orders. P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash App, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale, rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingsmartinunfiltered.com. And be sure to get a copy of my book, White Fear, How the Browning of America. It's making white folks lose their minds. Available at bookstores nationwide. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, Ben Bella Books, Bookshop Chapters, Books A Million, Target. You can download a copy on Audible as well. That's a bunch. Thanks a bunch. I'll see you all tomorrow. Holla! 
my simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council.